Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Actung, actung. It's James Holland here on We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Um, it's holiday season, so we're sort of away at the moment, but this is a recording of an interview I did with Stan Perry uh, earlier in June, up at his home in Lincolnshire, talking about his time with the Sherwood Rangers Yeomanry in World War II. And can you, I mean, were the feelings of apprehension, excitement as you're, you're finally crossing? Because you must be thinking, right, this is it. Um, I, I was either rather arrogant, perhaps, perhaps a bit laid back, but it was all part of the scene. And right. um, I, by then, although I was still a fairly junior subaltern, um, I'd been through uh, the trials of older life. <laughs> right. Yeah. When I was what twenty years old, um, I, I, for example, one of my sergeants had got the local um, pub owner's daughter into trouble. <laughs> And he thought I was going to sort out his problems with his wife. Oh, <laughs> and uh, this girl in trouble. And I was 19 years old and he was 45 or something. Oh, and, um, and one grew up very, very quickly yeah. as a, a, a junior officer. But then I, I caught up with uh, SOI on... Uh, presumably near Tilly. Pardon? P- presumably near Tilly. Uh, yes, uh, fairly near Tilly. Uh, well, I'm, I, I'd rather think at the bottom of uh, 103. Oh, Saint-Pierre. Yeah, yeah. Uh, round about there. Um, Names, village, um, the sequence of um, places escapes me I right. um, the geriatric memory can't recall I I read um, Stanley Christopherson and I read Stuart Hills and uh, I read uh, Padre Skinner's yes. uh, notes um, 
But what was it like arriving? Because you're arriving in the in the thick of it. They've just come I, up against the um, Panzerlaire, haven't they? And yes, they were a bit wary. Um, but were you welcomed in? I mean, was it? Was yes, I, I, I. That was the great thing about my first experience of SRY. John. Semkin. Semkin. Uh, I think it was John Semkin who greeted me. Was it? He was A Squadron. I think was the acting adjutant, or possibly couldn't have been second in command because that would he have was been. he was he was deputy commander. He was he was a troop commander in A Squadron. Then Keith Douglas got killed. So yeah. He was then deputy commander of A Squadron. Then Mike Laycock got killed. Killed. So Stanley then and took Stanley over, then took over, and then Semkin took over at A Squadron. Well, Laycock was um, colonel. So he was still alive when you got there? He was still alive when I got there, but I didn't really meet him. Mm. And I'm fairly sure it's John Semkin who welcomed me. Very possibly. And uh, took me to see Peter Tulleri. Yes. Who was uh, squadron commander of C Squadron. Yep. And I was posted to C Squadron. Right. And I was given number four. Troop, as <laughs> being the new boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, my. Uh, I mean, it must be quite daunting, isn't my it? My radio radio code sign was dog. <laughs> Rather amusing. Um, but was it quite daunting taking over a troop? You know, coming in. Yeah. Um, that was the first thing one had to do was to get from confidence and. Uh, relationship with the with 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 the crew. Mm. Um, well, the crew and, and all the crews in your troop. Well, eventually the the whole troop eventually, yeah. but uh, in particular, of course, the the tank crew. Two of them were ex Nottinghamshire miners, or if they hadn't been miners, they'd been in the. And had had the person you replaced been wounded? Um, I never knew who I replaced, to well, be honest. But um, certainly they'd lost him one way or another, whether he'd been wounded or killed. I, I, I'm, I am not certain. But um, they, they spoke. Uh, they used to chat together. Well, the miners. Um, and they used back slang. Have you ever come across that? No. Well, it's uh, it's a way of speaking. Uday uye ak bangslay. Do you talk backslang? And they take the uh, consonant from the front of a word yeah. and put it in the back and add a. <laughs> God, so do becomes Uday. Right. If you follow me? Yeah. Orkte. Yeah. Akbe. Angslay. <laughs> and this was a sort of... Um, and um, they used to chat in that. Uh, and I did a little... I, I'm, I was fairly good at languages. I, I spoke fairly fluent French and yeah. um, ultimately I learned some German and um, 
then uh, later in life I learned Danish and um, uh, very fluent in I'm still fluent in Danish um, but I sort of got, 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 on, I got to know from somewhere I don't know how I picked it up but I, I got to know what it was all about right and I learned and uh, this was in the first couple of days in the in the tank and uh, they were chatting away um, um, probably talking about that young bloody idiot they'd just taken on as a new commander and uh, I spoke to them in backslang <laughs> and they were absolutely aghast and, um, but that was the beginning of a very close relationship, yeah, and that that was quite fun. What were the two miners called? What were the names of the two miners? I I really um uh, Bob and Charles, but I can't. Bob and Charles. I I I was saying to somebody. Yes, I was talking to Don Young, the um, regimental uh, welfare officer, the night before last, and I said to him, I. I feel very ashamed that I do not remember the surnames of any of my... Um, well, you remember their Christian names, that's the main support. I remember the Christian names. I think my gunner was called Bob Barrett or Barnett, but I, I it just totally escapes me. Um, uh, but, but, but... Speaking of Pat sang at them, you kind of disarmed them a bit, I, I would imagine. Well, yes, it did. It, uh, I, th I think they were a bit worried about what they'd be, whether they'd been uh, Caught uh, out. <laughs> critical of me and yeah. that I'd understood what they were saying. <laughs> but uh, we never let on if they were. And um, it, But it, it began a... Um, it began an understanding and um, right. and a relationship, which um, when one's sleeping in a hung-up sheet on the side of the tank and probably virtually under the same blanket, um, it becomes difficult to be distant. <laughs> yes, no, sure. Um, I mean, can you remember going into action for the first time? Uh, yeah, I... Uh, I remember my first action, and I think it must have been Hill 103 mm -hmm. after we'd captured it. Yeah. And I was directed to um, take the troop and station hull down on the top of a hill. And, and I, uh, on, on, in retrospect, I think it must have been 103 um, because it had a quite a, a, a distant view. Yeah, it sort of slowly rolls down, doesn't it, down towards the yes, Sewell Valley. that's right. And there's a, there's a track that runs across the top of it. Yeah. With, with a sort of trees and a, and a, a mound. That's I, right, I you were able to get hull down. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I was sitting there hull down. Um, I'm not quite sure why, but um, I was protecting somebody. Right. And we were being shelled pretty heavily, um, both um, artillery and mortar. 
I was sitting on the top of the bank and um, look, I was there for hours. I think I was there for about 10 hours. What, so, in that position, that hold down position? Yes, just to hold the position. But um, I was scanning, obviously, with binoculars and uh, looking over the country and I saw this church steeple and there were some rather suspicious-like movements going on halfway up the steeple and flashing. And as I say, we were being shelled. Uh, I wasn't being shelled, uh, over my head. um, Being quite heavily shelled and um, quite targeted. And I came to the conclusion that this was a being spotted a by the gunner um, observer, yeah. and uh, so I did a troop shoot on the um, on the church steeple. I never know what village it was, but um, it, it certainly stopped the um, stopped the artillery uh, really? bombardment quite a bit. That, that was my first... And that was the end of the spire, presumably? <laughs> that was the end yeah, of the Yeah, that was the end. I'm, and I, I'm quite sure he was an utterly observer. Mm. And uh, so uh, perhaps that salved my conscience a bit <laughs> about <laughs> destruction of a church steeple. And, uh, and can you remember the headquarters being hit in Saint-Pierre and... Laycock being killed. I, I remember, yes, um, I was a bit distant from it. I, we weren't anywhere near headquarters then. Uh, one of the problems of being um, in Independent Armoured Brigade... You're attached to different battalions. You were you? detached, uh, even detached as uh, 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 a, a troop or two Yeah. Uh, sometimes, mm. and you were... I'm in contact with squadron headquarters, but um, some. Presumably, five, sometimes you'd spend days not seeing them. At five all. or ten miles away from yep. um, the squadron headquarters, so. But do you think do you think you sort of slotted into into frontline life reasonably well? Um, yeah, I. Um, I mean, were, were you good under fire? I mean, because you don't even know how you're going to respond until you're. No, it, it, it never worried me over much. Um, mm. I was in an, a number of battles and um, I lost one tank that brewed up through my carelessness. I um, showed me bum to the uh, uh, an, an anti-tank gun, actually. But I, I was considered a bit of a weirdo by um, some parts of the regiment because um, I had a rule that as soon as the troop moved off, sometime after that I would call halt and um, dismount. And I expected my tank crew and my troop tanks to immediately bail out no matter where they were what was the ground was like 
Was that just a training exercise? It was. It was what I thought was um, uh, a life-saving exercise. That if we were hit and brewed up, we had a barn in Sherman's, particularly in the petrol Sherman's. Uh, you'd got twenty or thirty seconds to get the hell out of it, uh, or get burned. Yeah. And. Um, I thought it was important that we had routines and um, so really, really well drilled quick reactions. Yeah. You you didn't mess about. Bail out meant get the hell out. Right. And um, in in the tank we had a routine where I went first because I was fucking up the hole, of course. Mm-hmm. And the gunner put his shoulders under my bum and shove, gave me yeah. a shove and the wireless shot came across and got his shoulders under the gunner and gave him a shove and the gunner reached down and caught the wireless ops um, hands and gave him a pull out so we went out in a quick stream right. um, bloody dangerous to break your leg off yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, better that than burnt. better than getting burned. Um, I mean, what did he make of the Sherman? Um, it uh, was a bit thin-skinned. It was um, very vulnerable to being hit in the back end and brewing up. Yeah. Um, but um, we used to drape spare track sections over the front of the um, Mm. armour which gave us a bit more protection and uh, we used to stow all our gear on the back I mean it was very reliable wasn't it? Well that was the great thing about it it was some I know, the gun, the 75 wasn't bad. It was quick, wasn't it? Quick firing. Uh, and quick firing. The, um, Had the stabilising gyro on it and, well. and the .5 machine guns were very effective. Right. Um, they were not... And there's um, that switch, which I hadn't appreciated, was a switch for the commander. So you've got the gunner. You've got the gunner co- controlling the turret, but, but the commander's got a little switch that he can override. Yes. The, the I mean, tr- no other tank had that, I don't think. No. No, it didn't. And um, Personally, I never used it because my gunner was very, um, very competent. Right. And uh, I used to swear at me. What's the bloody range, then? <laughs> you know, I'd give him an order. Um, turret Travis right, right on and then forget to say 280 yards or whatever <laughs> it was Gunner would say what's the bloody range then? That's so funny. <laughs> um, so he didn't <laughs> didn't hang back but he, he was very good. He's also a good cook. Um, yes, you really did live in each other's pockets didn't we? We did yes and uh, even our rations um, we lived on the um, seven day 
Russian, which theoretically was um, one day for seven men, or seven days for one man. Right. <laughs> and uh, it had uh, tinned um, pork and vegetables and tinned meat and vegetables. Mm. I had 50 cigarettes in it. Did you smoke then? Uh, I did then. Um, I don't know why I started smoking, but probably because Everyone else was. Sitting up on top of a hill doing nothing yeah. for ten hours. One got through a lot of cigarettes. And what about tea? Tea, uh, my, my wireless hop was, um, was a, a clever little guy. He sort of um, he'd got a primer stove right. which he'd welded up uh, uh, an attachment on it. Right. And uh, he'd made himself a um, lidded jug, metal jug, right. and uh, he reckoned to be able to brew on the move <laughs> through this little primer stove, the, the Dixie and the... Yeah. Um, so what's uh, your wife, so Bob was the... Uh, we drank the a lot of tea. Good. But Bob was the gunner. Gunner's name was Bob. Yes. And and the water top was that Charles. He was Ron. He was Ron. Yeah. So Charles, Charles was the driver. Charles was the Charles was the lap gunner, and I cannot the driver changed quite frequently. Okay. Um, the the rest of the crew I had for quite a little while, but there used to be quite frequent changes depending on the disposition of um, skills. So you might lose... And so where was Ron from? Was he a Nottinghamshire boy? Um, I think it was Ron and, Ron and Bob who were uh, uh, Nottinghamshire. Right. Uh, and I, uh, the other one lived somewhere over in the Towards the northwest. Because okay, so it was Ron and Bob who were the. Were the Pardon? The, there was Ron and Bob who spoke in slang, was it? Yes. Right, right, right. Yes. And they, how did you find when you were an actor? I mean, how did you find cooperating with the infantry? Were there, were there problems, or was it was it? Because um, one of the issues was communication, wasn't it? I had a lot of difficulty with infantry. Um, Infantry commanders who wanted to go their way rather than mine. Because you're both going to be coming at it from a slightly different perspective. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but um, I got my orders from my squadron commander where I was going to go. Right, and you have to do it. Uh, and uh, I couldn't so be... So Peter Soleri was your squadron commander? Squad uh, he was first, and then he got wounded. That's right. And um, Jack Holman was... Oh, yes. Jack Holman was my squadron commander for most of the time. And what was he like? Then he was laconic. Fun. He was rather dashing. Very laconic. Yeah. Um, oh yes, he loved a bit of flamboyancy. I remember when it was raining, when he um, I was driving in his tank and he put an umbrella up. <laughs> <laughs> Had an umbrella over his head. 
but he was not um, he was not awfully good at communication. Right. Um, one of the big problems of being a troop commander was that there was an enormous shortage of maps. Right. You know, you didn't have a map. Right. And you'd be told to go here or there and, um, you know, they were not even placed names right. quite often. And um, Jack had maps and one could take a little sketch. Yeah, it's not quite the same, is it? But it was a rough sketch and yeah. you weren't almost certain you'd been in all the salient points, you know, because you... Um, we, we held what was called an O group. I don't yeah. know. You've come across that, yeah. probably. And, um, so that'd be squadron coming together. You, all the officers have a chat. Oh, that's it. Yes, the squadron commander would get the two officers together and um, give them a briefing. Um, but um, I recall he would say things like. Um, You're going uphill, uh, two and a half miles, get to the top of the hill. Uh, what do I do when I get there? I'll tell you that when you get there, would be Jack's sort of approach. <laughs> so you were uh, sometimes working a bit in the dark. Um, but you asked me about infantry. Um, some were very, very good. In particular, I call in the second part of my um, time with the regiment, um, the Rifle Brigade were giving me cover on one action right. and they were absolutely brilliant yeah. and their platoon commander was in touch all the time. What did I want? What did he want? And um, we worked together, um, and I've got a picture in there, in, uh, what's that book called, the photographs? The Road to Berlin. Road to Berlin. Uh, there's a picture of my troop in there. Oh, really? And it's Hilarious. covered well, with Lowland Scots. <laughs> um, it was obviously posed. Yeah. It was two or three days before I got wounded the second time. And um, it was obviously posed because there was a bloke sitting on my 75 right. uh, barrel. Right. And uh, the gunner would have <laughs> gunner would have had his ears off if uh, it hadn't been a posed thing. He wouldn't allow anybody to ride on his, on his barrels because he spent a lot of time uh, calibrating his gun. And uh, he... But did you, did you have a sort of a, a daily routine, or was it was it just whatever came your way? Oh yes, uh, it was day to day, virtually. Uh, sometimes two or three days in a run. Hmm. Um, what time would you be up in the morning? Dawn. So you'd form up into a leaguer the night before. I mean, it'd be three o'clock in the morning, perhaps. Yeah. Um, uh, sometimes you're in a leaguer. Sometimes you'd be on your own. Sometimes be two troops together. And presumably before you can have, I mean... You could have a squadron leaguer. 
And when, when you're stood down the evening before, is it someone, one person's job to get the food and the other people to do the maintenance? Or, or um, uh, in my troop, we had... Um, my gunner was a good cook. He had a party piece, which was... Uh, he had a canvas bag, and he used to fill it with some ship's biscuits. Right. And he used to put it in between the... Um, track uh, roller and run the tank backwards and forwards and crushed it all up and crushed it all up and then he would mix it with some tinned um, pork and vegetables or meat and vegetables yeah. and make what he called chapatis <laughs> which he used to fry up over the uh, over the primers, and so he used to cook for us. But yes, there was an uh, absolute routine um, on arriving back or wherever you're going to rest for darkness or overnight, because quite often we'd be out at three or four o'clock in the morning yeah. and not be back and rest until ten o'clock in the evening. But you've got to look after your tank, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, but um, there was an absolute routine when you landed was um, the driver uh, and the lap gunner, the co-driver, would uh, fuel up yep. and uh, quite often that would be jerry cans and uh, sometimes even have to form a little chain. Yeah. So um, we all had to muck in then. Gunner um, and uh, wireless op, it, uh, this was my routine, mm -hmm. Gunner and wireless op um, would uh, replace some um, armament yep. and check everything inside the turret was um, yep. was properly housed so that it didn't roll about and mm -hmm. and they'd get rid of um, shell cases yep. and that sort of thing and then uh, we would cook if we were able uh, a, a bit of a late night meal mm -hmm. and then uh, most of the time uh, certainly in Normandy not uh, later on in Holland and Germany, but in Normandy um, we just uh, hooked a sheet up on the um, side of the tank and made a little uh, sort of bivouac. Little bivouac and, yeah, and you just lie down on the ground? Then sleep down there. Well, we're just going to take a break now, but do join us again to hear more from Stan Perry. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. 
Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii, okay? And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy, and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. So what did you put out your kind of sort of oldskin mat and I was um, I was a bit flash. I had a um, <laughs> I had a sleeping bag. <laughs> and would you sleep fully clothed or what? Yes, um, you. I I'm quite often completely fully clothed, full battle dress. Right. Um, used to wear a tank jacket quite often, so. Um, Tank jacket. Yeah, you'd take that off. Uh, that was just a, a jacket over your, yeah. over your battle dress. Um, but, but you had, I mean, do you had those sort of battle dress suits, didn't you, as tank men, or did you have traditional battle dress? Um, I uh, battle dress and trousers. Yeah. What did uh, you think of those? By surge. Um, warm and comfortable. Um, yeah, pretty good. Saved my life with the. Uh, um, when I was wounded the second time because um, I'd met my wife and married and she'd given me for my 21st birthday a um, 
leather wallet with two photographs in and I'd put them in the breast pocket of my battle dress and when I got hit by the mortar bomb um, and later on the surgeon said he'd taken a piece of shrapnel off the wall of my heart uh, which had obviously pierced this um, leather wallet still got it Oh, um, still got the holes in it. That's extraordinary. Um, and um, he said that if it hadn't been uh, decelerated, going through something stronger, yeah, it would almost certainly have penetrated my heart, and I would have been a goner. So I always thought my wife saved my life, you know, <laughs> and being in my battleless breast pocket. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I didn't dislike about it. It was a bit rough. Um, um, having been a parachutist, uh, I was a bit fancy. Uh, that, um, At the Denison. Having uh, managed to uh, purloin a parachute canopy. Yeah which was made of silk, I'd had it run up into some underwear. <laughs> so, oh, really? Um, Very we fancy. had a theory that uh, if you wore silk underwear, you couldn't get fleas. <laughs> was it true? I, well, I didn't get fleas, so I... <laughs> <laughs> um, so I assume, yes, uh, because we didn't wash very often. Yeah. Not... Thoroughly, you so know. So, what was the tanker's jacket you had then? Was that an American one? Um, yeah, it was just a canvas um, canvas jacket with a bit of camouflage on it. Hmm. It was just a camouflage jacket. Right, you know. right, right, right. Um, it was handy because it had more pockets. So, it wasn't the Denison smock that they gave to the paratroopers? Um, I did have uh, one that. Uh, had a strap which yes, that's right, yeah. came up under the groin. That's it. Yes, so I, 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 I did have one of those until um, until the first time I was wounded, and uh, they sent all my gear back, but my jacket never appeared with it. So that was that. <laughs> it was rather funny. I um, when I was shot the first time, um, I. I I always carried a forty-five automatic on my belt, and I always had a couple of Mills grenades tucked into a pouch on my belt. Um, Old-time training, I suppose. Um, but uh, when I uh, when I was wounded the first time, that was in Normandy. In Normandy, my gear was sent back to Liverpool and then shipped down to my father at my home. <laughs> and uh, when I got repatriated and was talking to Dad, he said, what am I going to do with this? I said, well, I'll just sit on it until I come home again. And he said, yeah, but what am I going to do with this bloody gun? I've got a pistol in it. Um, that so was what was the circumstances in which you got 
I mean, do you, do you remember any of the individual battles, or are they all? Yes, I, the one was... that's very clearest in my mind is the one where I got shot, uh, the the crossing of the Noiro. Right. So uh, where, where was that? That was after Ondefontaine, was it? Yes. Um, it, I was the first tank out of Normandy. Ah. And um, I, you got it written down, actually. <laughs> Lieutenant Stanley Perry was the first tank to cross the Noiro. I'd forgotten. <laughs> um, Actually, um, Stanley had got it slightly wrong in his um, diaries, I think. Right. Because it says that I crossed on the hastily reconstructed bridge. Right. Which would have been in Condé. Mm -hmm. um, but in fact, uh, I had to wade. Right. Um, uh, there's a long story to this. Oh, well, do uh, tell. Uh, we'd been fighting, we'd had a couple of days quite rough um, battling down towards the Noiro from Hotto, I think that would have been. Yep. Would have been Jurk? Jurk was, uh, was before Ondefontaine. Jurk and Veer. Yeah, Veer is after, is after that. They're it? both very much in my mind. It's all part of Blue Coat, Operation and Blue Cahania. Coat. And Cahania. Yeah. Cahania. And Comont. Comont. Yes, yeah, so you started, you moved to Comont. You were moved from, you took over from the Americans. That's right. And I nearly got myself over. killed there. Oh, why? I was um, taking my troop through the, through Comont. And... Shutters open and head up, and suddenly got a wire across my throat. There was a, 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 a radio or power wire or something strung across the street. Oh, goodness. Just the right head to catch my throat. Luckily, I had a very good driver. I bellowed halt. <laughs> <laughs> snatched away and I was just able to get it off and over but it was it was a bit close run but we'd been we'd been in that area somewhere with a, a fair bit of fighting mostly with some um, German infantry and um, was this after you got to Comor? Pardon? Before. This is before or after Comor? Uh, I think this was after Comor. Yeah, because then it was Operation Blue Coat, and you were advancing south with 30 Corps. That's right. You had 8 and, Corps on your right. And we had... Um, and that's when you went to Kahanye and... Was that the Adolf Hitler? Well, the, the Adolf Hitler, the, the Hitler-Jugend guys... Pardon? The, the 12th SS were at... You would have come across them at... Roray and La Fontenay. Yeah. And that, that had been a bit rough. So that was sort of end of June, beginning of July, that kind of time. August 15th. August 15th. Yes, because Bluecoat was launched on, I think, the 30th of yes. July. Um, and you were in Ondefontaine about 4th of August, something like that, off the top of my head? Yes. Um, I, I have 
great difficulty in remembering. No, that's all right. Um, one of the things I said, uh, Jackie Holman was not over communicative. Um, lots of the um, attacks on battles had code names. Yes. Uh, but he never used them. <laughs> and we never ever got to know what, they what code name we were. Right. But you remember the name of the villages you passed through, some of them? Uh, some, um, I, I remember particularly um, Tilly, of course, yes. Tilly Picard, and Ornay sur Odon, yes. which Ornay. appalled me. It had been. It was um, absolutely pulverised, wasn't it? Fun. It was absolutely flattened. It was absolutely flattened. I was driving my tanks. There were no sign of roads. No. Driving my tanks over rubble. Yeah. Uh, the church was still standing. It, and it, yeah, and it's it's funny because you can match up. There's a very famous photo of going into um, into Ornay, and you can see the church and the and the town hall, the the, the mairie. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, but and every, either side of it is just. Yeah, it was. It was just it's rubble. And um, nice I, um, the Americans were lovely chaps. So you met, in, you bumped into them in Kobe. Individually, particularly lovely chaps. Collectively, uh, there were one or two questions. Um, we believed that if an American observer saw a man and a dog moving in a village, they would call up an artillery bombardment <laughs> and flatten the village yeah. before they went to have a look. And we believed that the British approach would be to go and have a look, and if it was occupied, then perhaps call yeah. up. Uh, well, certainly British artillery responsible for the flattening of Ornay, that's for sure. Fun? It was certainly British artillery that flattened, flattened Ornay. Ornay, yes. But, but we, we were very suspicious of that. I, I remember taking over from a, an American troop in an orchard. And, um, this is in Normandy, was it? In Normandy. Yeah, so that would have been when you were moving up to Comorn, I would have thought. Yes. Because it was the well, 1st Infantry Division were moving, moving out to do Operation oh, Cobra. Yes, uh, that, would have, that sounds about right. Um, but I, I know I moved into this orchard... Uh, Leaguer up, mm. and um, I got to chat. Um, first off, it made me rather slightly irritable that um, it was an American captain who was a troop commander, right. and I was only a subaltern. <laughs> and his pay rate was probably yeah. three times mine. <laughs> um, and then I, I said to him, Oh, what's it like in the orchard here? Oh, absolute bloody hell. And I thought, oh, how's that? He said, we've been shelled to hell. Well, the first shell hole I could see was 40 or 50 yards away in an open field. <laughs> and, uh, so uh, well, a little bit wary, but um, we, we made good friends. Um, but the saying, um, the battle I remember best uh, was the crossing of the Noiro, and I remember that in. That's right at the end of the Normandy some, campaign. Some detail. Right. I. Um, uh, 
we'd been fighting for a couple of days and it had been a bit rough and I'd leaguered up at about 10 o'clock at night it was just coming dusk and um, gone through all the routines and Stanley sent for me and said um, I want you to do a little job for me um, can't get the recce troop down there but I'd like to have a look at that river and see whether it's crossable because we think the bridge has been blown uh, and this was just would have been to the east I think of Condé mm. Condé Chenoiro mm -hmm. um, and uh, he said you were in the SAS so you're used to doing a little night job um, will you go and have a look and tell me whether it's crossable? So Did you we, mind? Fun? Did you mind? Were you, were you worried about that? No, it was just another job and right. and uh, I, I suppose I was rather rather proud that the Colonel had thought of me. Right. And um, <coughs> I, that was the one thing about Stanley Christopherson. I think every single member of the regiment that I ever met would have done anything for him. <laughs> Stanley was very upper class, but he um, had a facility for knowing people and befriending people, whatever their rank, whatever their style, mm. whatever they were. He, he was a, a, a wonder regimental commander he really was mm. and um, so if Stanley said go look at the river jump up in the air three times you jumped up in the air three times um, he, we had that regard for him as our commander anyway I had to crawl through some of this bacage and um, luckily fairly dense foliage because the bloody ground was still occupied by um, German machine guns. <laughs> oh um, and I, I had an infantryman with me who was supposed to be my guard and I had a, um, a, 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 a sapper who had a, a mine detector. Right. And so we, we were sort of more or less crawling about in the dark and suddenly saw these cigarette lights <laughs> and, um, and a bit of careful listening and it was a German machine gun post dug in and uh, the, the instrument was very keen on um, having a go at it and I said not bloody likely that'll tell everybody we're here and um, we want to get down and have a look at this river so you skirted so, past them? Fun. So you skirted past them? We, we skirted around them and uh, went down to the river and I thought it was perfectly possible. Um, one particular place what, where... for tanks? For tanks. Uh, it was a bit sandy at the bottom and... Uh, but it was pretty shallow. But there was, it was only three or four feet deep. It was, uh, there wasn't a lot of water. Um, but the, the sandy bottom was maybe a bit of a worry. Um, but it looked, there was one place where 
it looked as if cattle had been uh, watering. Right, so it sort of trampled it down. So the bank was trampled down. Right. And, uh, and you could that tell that in the, in the moonlight, could you? Fun? You could tell that in the, in the night light. It was a bit of a Yes, you could see it was... Um, uh, well, it didn't get... It got dark, but not very dark. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, we were in August and yeah. not quite dog days, but um, yeah. uh, yes, it was. Uh, I mean, going down to the river was easy enough to have a look and see. And um, we came back, and uh, the infantryman and I. Uh, decided to have our fun with the um, machine gun post, so uh, gave them a few Mills grenades to share. <laughs> really? And uh, so we, we put that out of action because we were on the way home and I didn't mind people knowing that we'd been. Um, went and reported to Stanley that... So how far back was Stanley from the river at this point? I mean, how far back was the river? Half a mile. Okay, so it's few, down a lane through a few fields. That kind Something of thing. like that. Yeah. Uh, maybe a bit more. Okay. But, um, I mean, he, he was in, obviously... What uh, were you armed with, just your Colt 45? Reasonably safe leaguer. Yeah. Fun. And you were just armed with your 45 and your Mills bombs? Yes. Uh, and Didn't um, have a Sten or a Thompson? And the or infantryman had, uh, I think he had a Sten. Didn't like the Sten. Really? If you dropped it, it went off. Yeah, well, it didn't have that tendency. <laughs> you blew, blew your leg off if you weren't careful. Um, so I, I never had a Sten. I, I managed to acquire a Tommy gun. Oh, did you? The, the difficulty of sidearms for a, a, a tank troop commander was um, actually getting supplies of ammunition. Mm because obviously Quartermaster didn't stock no. necessarily the right uh, things. I had a um, I had a little Mauser that I'd uh, relieved a German of, which uh, he had no further use for. And well, where did you get that one? A knocked-out tank? Fun? Oh, on, a, on a German on a tank? or just? No, a... it was a German infantryman that I'd shot. Oh. <laughs> um, when did you do that then? Was that, that earlier? That was a lot earlier. Yeah. No, I I take these little Mauser off him, and right. I got that tucked away. Right. But finding uh, finding ammunition for that was a bit tricky. Yeah. Well, it used the same as the Sten, didn't it? I think. Maybe not. No. Yeah. That was nine millimeter, wasn't it? Anyway, it doesn't matter. What was it about? Point three. Mm, don't know. Anyway. S something like that. Yeah. Anyway, um. That that was difficulty with sidearms. With uh, <coughs> getting ammo. Um, I had one of these German um, uh, dismounted aircraft machine guns, which I liberated, <laughs> and uh, we we had a a gun mounting on the turret of the Sherman. I remember, and uh, I put it up, but. Uh, after five minutes, uh, having fired it, I gave it away to an in passing infantryman in a friend gun carrier. 
because it brought down all the all the muck you could think of from both sides. I walked in because it sounded like a German machine yeah. gun. Well, it um, God, what's it called? Was it MG17 or an MG34? Pardon? Was it an MG17 or an MG34 or? Had or a name. Those were the main light machines. It was dis dismounted um, aircraft. Yeah, well, they could. They they had a sort of multi. Fired fourteen hundred rounds a minute. Yeah, oh, okay, it was an MG forty-two then. Uh, what was forty-two? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, just unbelievably quick. It was. Uh, no, well, the big stack with that was, if you fired it, everybody thought you were a bloody German machine gun. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it was so recognisable. Yeah. For, um, that you got uh, shot at by everybody. Yeah. So I, I got rid of that pretty quickly. I didn't have a mounted um, didn't have a mounted gun on the right. on the turret. Had the. Um, but you could have done if you wanted to. Was that I, I, I could have done. Yeah. I had the point five Browning as a lap gun. Yeah. And the coaxial. Yeah. Point five Browning. Yeah. And. Uh, so ammunition was easy and yep. uh, one was happy with that. Um, uh, to say, uh, tomorrow... Um, so you, you've got, managed to get back, you knock out the German machine gun post. I knocked out a German machine gun post, got back to uh, uh, Colonel and reported, um, went back to my kip which was then by about two o'clock in the morning or something. Yeah. Uh, three o'clock. Time to get up again. Got me shoulder shaken. Uh, runner from uh, Jack Holman. You know this river. You'll be lead troop. <laughs> <laughs> Point troop tomorrow. And I want you over the river by dawn. <laughs> Goodness. Um, so, uh, quick pack up, being sworn out by Jack because we were too slow in getting off. <laughs> um, set off, came to a wide field uh, full of uh, sappers who were mine clearing. I actually saw a dead, blown up sapper on the way by, which was rather of pudding. Um, got to chat to the uh, officer in charge of the sappers and he said, oh, you won't be able to get over here for another hour or two. We're still working. And uh, I'd got Jack on my back. <laughs> when are you going over the river? <laughs> so uh, after a little while, I said to the um, said to the troop, look, we'll have to risk it. Um, stay in my tracks and I'll lead. If I get blown up, <laughs> you'll know that uh, I've cleared the way for you. <laughs> but stay absolutely in my tracks. So we went over line ahead and we went down to the river line ahead. Oh, that must be a slightly nerve-wracking moment, isn't it? Fun. That's a bit nerve-wracking, isn't it? Yeah, well... Um, better to face the chance of getting your front end blown off and 
getting a bollocking from Jack Holman. <laughs> Probably chose the former. No, it's it's one of the things. I mean, it was um, it was obviously paramount in um, commanding circles that we crossed. Uh, we were aiming for Belgium, mm-hmm. and it was pretty critical to them that we got over. Anyway, it, um, got over the river, climbed up the bank, um, the, the hill, and uh, had a big bang and a slithering noise across the top of my turret and a Panzerfaust uh, shell had carried away my radio aerial. Now I'd made a fundamental error, I think, because it was very, very dense bocage. Right. Um, six, eight feet high. Yeah, hedgerows. No, um, no visions. And I deployed my troop in a staggered echelon because I thought we'd cover that. Oh, we were supposed to be clearing the infantry, the hmm. German infantry machine gun posts and such. Were you going in on your own or did you have infantry with you? Uh, I was supposed to have um, one of the southern regiments. It, it, it was from the Wessex Division. Yeah. Um, I think it could have been the wheelchairs. Right. Uh, I was supposed to have a platoon of them, but I I was stopped. Um, I crossed the river, and I was stopped by a senior officer. I think he was the lieutenant colonel, probably commanding officer of this uh, wheelchair unit, and he said, "Germans are digging in." down here uh, to the right. Uh, come with me and support my uh, troops and we can winkle them out. Um, well, my directions were to go up the hill. So I, I called Jack and um, although the this chap threatened to put me under open arrest for not obeying his, his orders. Really? And uh, it was a bit arrogant. Um, I said, well, I, I, I called Jack and he said, do as you're told. You're heading for the top of the hill, you're covering the Bearshoe Road. Don't go swanning off anywhere else. So this infantryman was really very uh, aggressive. So I said, hey, look, you better talk to my... Uh, you better talk to my squadron commander. So they spoke, and then uh, the uh, infantryman turned his back in a huff and said, uh, no, that's it then, and begged off. I never saw an infantry after that. Right. Um, so suddenly you're crashing the, the, the rise, and, and you're on your own. Yeah, um, and going through the bacage, there were lots of uh, pants of house about, they had little trucks, right. and they used to run through the. Uh, um, we we caught one lot, but um, I did get hit by this pants fast, carried away my 
the, my radio aerial and my, my, my wild stopper said, I'm sorry, I've tried everything, but we've no connections. Right. I couldn't talk to my troop. Yep. I couldn't talk to squadron commander. <coughs> I was completely out of touch. Yeah. So uh, I thought, well, best thing to do is um, go straight on and uphill. Um, I, I was supposed to take the track, right. but um, I'm always a bit wary about tracks, <laughs> whether they're mined or not, sure, when you're yeah. so close to the infantry. So I was laid off a bit from the track, um, but through the bacage, and the bacage was dotted with tall trees, mm. um, poplars, I think probably but they were dotted in between so you were you you couldn't take a straight line you were right. having to dodge trees as well as get through all this um, massive foliage and uh, shrubbery um anyway uh, i i thought best thing keep heading up the lads know where we're supposed to be going so hopefully they'll follow and it wasn't until much later I discovered that Brookie, Corporal Brooks, had, um, well, there were two stories about it. One said that he dismounted from his tank to do a foot recce. And I don't know why a desert uh, experienced Veteran. tank corporal yeah would get out of his tank to go and do a foot recce. Yeah. Um, the other thing was, said that he'd been wounded and blown out of his tank, which seemed much more likely. Been hit by a mortar bomb, perhaps, and yeah. blown out of his tank. Uh, and I only discovered this later. Um, the sergeant had, um, dismounted from his tank and gone across to try and help Brookie and he got mown down by machine guns so I'd lost two tanks. although I didn't know it I'd lost both my corporal and my sergeant um, were they both killed? they were both killed uh, well uh, Brookie uh, I, I think he died on the spot as far as I yeah. uh, as far as I knew because I got repatriated and lost touch of course. Um, and anyway, I decided I'd push on and um, not knowing where the other two, but hoping that they were following. Um, and uh, there was another bang and my lap gunner said, Christ, tore me trousers. And we'd been hit by a Panzerfaust on the um, <coughs> on the front armour. Right. It had pierced the hole, and the um, explosion that followed through it's torn his trousers and scratched his legs. Wow! Uh, he'd been sitting with his feet apart. He's a bit uh, lucky. Uh, that, so that was a bit lucky. And then we came to a. Uh, 
on the top of the um, top of the Bearshoe Lane, it, it divided off at one point, mm. and that's where you really avoid um, approach because that's where the 88's likely to be right. parked, yeah. hidden up on the division of the road. So we, we went round that, kept off the road, and. Um, came to a wayside Calvary. A wayside Calvary? Yeah, it was um, crucifix yeah. and body of Christ. Yeah, I know the thing. Yeah. You know the thing. Um, and my lap gunner was a devout Catholic mm. and pleaded with me that we dismount and uh, said our prayers. <laughs> I drew the line at that, but we did stop and um, said a few prayers, or said a prayer. Yeah. Um, that was as far as I would go. Went on a, a bit further, and um, I, it was getting pretty hairy. Um, I used to, uh, I usually had my lids open. Yeah. And I'd still got my lids open. But there was a lot of flack from mortars. Right. And um, I heard um, before uh, I lost my radio, Bill Sleep had uh, been sniped. Right. And um, that made things a bit more uncomfortable. So I. Uh, Thought well, I'll shut my, I'll shut my lids down a bit. Reached up, shutting the lids down, and my arm dropped down. <laughs> Said to me, oh, my intercom was still working. The although the external, uh, the nineteen set, of course, we had uh, A set, B set, and intercom. Um, Said to me, wireless up. Crashed them and stung by a bloody bee. And then I tried to lift my arm and I couldn't. You'd uh, be sure. It was it had broken the bone and I think the the well, ulna was. It a was bullet? Was it a bullet? It was a bullet. Well, thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it, and we will find out what happens to Stan next time. <laughs>